it's fascinating to look at the psychological process because as we mentioned earlier, like how do you be a bridge? How do you bring in information that conflicts with your identity? How do you grab back logic and critical thinking? Mm-hmm. I mean. Welcome to The Safe Haven. I'm your host, Amanda Lytle. The Safe Haven offers a collection of conversations about life's challenges and the pivots we make in order to keep moving forward. As I evolve and expand as a person and a podcast host, I have learned that creating a safe space is nearly impossible. I don't know what topics or stories may trigger my listeners, but I hold space with love and intention and honor the bravery that it takes not only to share, but to listen to the stories of others. Thank you so much for being here. I would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging that I am recording from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Interior Salish people, in particular, the Sinaixt, on whose territory I work and live. Today's episode is the second part of a two-part chat between Mark and I. In this part of the conversation, I have a few questions for Mark about his biggest mentors and influential guides in his journey. We hear about the backstory to create the love and mind, and about his reflections after posting some very raw podcast content about a massive relationship rupture with his now fiance, Kylie. Mark shares some perspectives on the state of the world right now, how he self-regulates, and what he's currently reading and listening to. Let's jump into section two of Mark Groves on right. Safe Haven. <laughs> section two, let's do it. Yes. So again, thank you because I have so many more questions now. The more that this conversation just evolves and expands, I just, I love it. You've mentioned a couple kind of mentors or books that you've read. I'm interested in knowing who some of the most influential people have been in your growth and expansion journey. Mm. I mean, one of the first books I ever, I think it was the first book I read after I went through my engagement ending. It was uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. That was a really beautiful book. Stephanie Kuntz's book on marriage just completely changed how I saw the world. Alan Watts has been a guide for a long time. I can always revisit any lecture from Alan Watts and just feel, I think there's such a beautiful intersection of his work between the psychological and the spiritual. I think another person who does that beautifully that I love is Ram Das. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really dove a lot into his work in the last couple of years. Um, Francis Weller, without a doubt, mm-hmm. one of the best teachers Again, his work totally shifted my brain, how I thought about things. Um, What other books? Osho's book, Love, Freedom, and Aloneness. Uh, That was, I read that when I was single and that completely blew my mind. Mm. Paradigm Shifting. What's another book that's paradigm shifting? Carolyn Mace's book, Anatomy of the Spirit, was really powerful. Oh man, that book blew me open too. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't really, I only listen to books most of the Mm -hmm. time. Sometimes I read them and I had to buy the written version of that after I was done it. Cause I was like, I got to consume this in another way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. I mean, I've really been more recently enjoying exploring like the psychology of, of the human systems moving and like how we move as families, as communities, how we dance with things like government, public health, media how our immune systems and our logic are connected, 
you know, our ability to think critically. I'm very fascinated because I don't think you get to where we are today without there being a lot of hijacking of our biological processes. And so I've been very fascinated about that because I think it's the same skill set. Jonathan Haidt's work has had a lot of influence on me in the last little bit, his book called uh, Coddling of the American Mind. Yeah, it just gave so much language to what I was experiencing as a creator on the internet, but I'm sure everyone has been experiencing in terms of self-censorship and mm-hmm. being afraid to rock the boat or, or speak your truth for fear of not belonging. But notice how that's also correlated to exactly why we stay in dysfunctional relationships, exactly why we can't have dialogue with our partners and disagree. You know, I think ultimately the work of how do I sit with someone who I love whose opinion I don't love Mm -hmm. and be curious and know that both our truths are real in that moment. Two people can experience a relational moment totally differently and both of them are right. And really the work of any relationship, regardless of its type is to be able to build a bridge between those two, because what lives between those two is a shared truth Mm -hmm. is a bridge is even getting to a place of mutual disagreement with Mm -hmm. love. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, oof, that's, I think that's the ultimate work. And that's, you know, I think we're all being called to that now more than ever. What you just said there, and then talking about being a bridge for dialogue, which is so beautiful. It reminds me of a part in Matthew McConaughey's book, which is so good, by the way, in Green Lights. Yeah, I've heard it's very good. Oh, it's so good. But they talk about how these two people are fighting and he steps in and then they both turn on him and they're like, we're not like, we're trying to understand each other. We're not fighting. We're working at trying to understand one another. And I was like, oh. I'm taking that with me everywhere. (laughs) I like that, especially with his voice. I know the whole book he reads. Oh, it's so good. We actually listened to it together. It was fantastic. You and Matthew or you? Oh, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) No, my partner and I, we listened to Uh, it together. That's funny. So then this has me also curious. I'd also written down, I'd love to know the backstory to create the love because what you've created online through your blog, your posts, just your presence online, your courses, your cards, all of this has evolved in a relatively short period of time when you look at where it's at now. So I'd love to hear the backstory to it. Hmm. Well, when I was exploring romantic relationships and studying them, I started to just have this giant calling to start to teach about them Mm -hmm. and, and speak about them. Um, and I was obviously met with a lot of imposter syndrome at the time. And I remember Seth Godin saying, if, if you don't feel like an imposter, you're not doing the right thing. Mm. Like you're not really on the edge of your creativity. So that's great to know now (laughs) at the time (laughs) I was afraid to start, but I did start Mm -hmm. and I started writing. I started writing a blog. I wrote blog posts. I started coaching. Um, I went back to school, studied positive psychology. And then I went through a breakup actually with a woman who used to manage social media platforms for companies. And I remember her saying, you should start an Instagram. And I was like, what's Instagram? (laughs) And when we broke up, or maybe it was like right before we broke up, I started an Instagram. I started, I would post a quote and then I'd write about the, the quote. And I remember people would say, oh, you can't write long form content on Instagram. It's not for that. But at that point, I was like, stop telling me what to fucking do. Like, fuck off. And, you know, that that served me well because most of my life I've been quite the 
the outspoken person about mm-hmm. shit that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. That's always been true. So it, uh, you know, I dedicated so much time for that. When I took two weeks off from Instagram in October, that was the first time I took time off and didn't post in like almost seven years. So I was impassioned by it. I would write every day. I would post something and write a caption sometimes twice a day at one point. Um, and then at one point, even three times a day. And yeah, that's how create the love was born. It originally started as create the love you want. And then the Instagram handle create the love was available, which I couldn't believe. And I, I mean, the premise of it, it was this idea that like we are all waiting for the right relationship. We're all waiting for the right moment. We're all waiting for the skills to magically show up in our bodies and they're not coming. You know, none of that is coming to save you. You know, you must save yourself. And it doesn't mean that a partner can't remind you that you need to learn things or remind you that you're worthy or that you're lovable. They might wake that up in you, but if you don't claim any of it and you don't take responsibility for your relationships, you'll just call it all fate. And you'll just keep repeating the same patterns. And I just saw that when I finally took responsibility for how I wanted to love and who I wanted to be, my whole life changed. I mean, everything becomes possible in that moment because you're the one in charge. Instead of following these like, you can't post long form content on Instagram. It's like, get fucked. Like that's someone else's rule that they gave to you. Don't give it to me. Mm -hmm. And like, as I said, you know, in the previous part one, that that like other people's limitations will become yours, you know, if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. And again, we've mentioned already that that's like a projected fear or construction that they have of what things should be. That's their perspectives and opinions. Right. Yeah. Well, it's also taken another cool shift. I'd love to know about mind, which is congratulations. This is really cool. So tell me about that. Yeah, thanks. Mind was actually born. I worked with this guy for a little bit through a breakup. His name's Aaron Albert. He's a co-founder. And we worked together for a little bit and then he came back to me. He's just an incredible guy. He came back to me and he was like, Hey, what do you think about starting like a Peloton for emotional, relational, mental health? And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm in, I've been sort of thinking about starting something like that. And so we joined up, started iterating on it, creating a version of it. And that was in like 2019. I mean, it was all pre pandemic. So by the time we launched, I mean, we already felt like we were in the greatest mental health crisis of our time. And, mm-hmm. you know, certainly that has been exacerbated and made much worse in the most recent time. So mind was this place where we're like, let's bring together some of the top relational, mental, emotional health experts in the world who can teach and have this opportunity for people to just learn about these things. And ultimately you mentioned this earlier too, is like, no one teaches us this, but it's all skill sets. That's all it is. It's just learning skill sets. Anyone can be incredible at relationships. Mm-hmm. And no one ever taught me about grief or about relationships or cycles of communication and how couples should structure their conflicts so that they can understand one another and not repeat the same bullshit. You know, and I'm like, God, these are essential skills because when I think about the impact on our health of poor relationships, it's just incredible, you know, the impact on our health. And it's like, wow, this, this could in a lot of ways solve so many of our health epidemics. Mm -hmm. So when you actually, with the app, which I think is incredible, by the way, I think that it's, it's going to serve a neat purpose, especially with isolation, the, the connection that it's going to be offering as well is 
fantastic. I think it's incredible. Thank like you. I said over and over again, I'm a big fan. Um, but I'm curious about who you would be welcoming into this space. Is there like a certain list of credentials that you would be hoping for that they would be offering into this space for this streamable content? Um, I mean, we have a process to make sure that the person you know, has integrity, has, Mm -hmm. you know, has someone that lives what they say. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that in the context of whether you're a therapist or a coach, there's really good ones and there's really bad ones. Mm -hmm. Um, There's really good teachers in spaces and there's really bad ones. So although credentials can be important, we want to make sure that the person more than anything is really in integrity with their work. We train all the teachers um, so they're Mm trauma-informed. That's really important for us. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of deliberate intention. Like each time we look at a teacher, we're assessing from different perspectives. So yeah, there's a standard that we hold. And we also recognize that, I mean, some of the best teachers are people who've been through a story Mm -hmm. and risen from it and then teach from that space. And, you know, I think... Credentials can give people a lot uh, and they can make sense of experiences. Uh, and I think the same is true of experiences. If you explore your traumas and your pains and your story and you teach from that space and you live what you teach, I mean, I think you can be an incredibly influential teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big time. I, just with the mind thing as well, I'll start with the name. Where did the name come from? Why mind? Yeah, you know, Aaron came up with that name. Okay. And the idea was like mine, possessive, mining for information. Yeah. And mind, like minding in terms of like minding how we're being experienced and how we experience the world. He might have a different idea of maybe he came up with it for different reasons, but yeah. I'm pretty sure those are a lot of the things. Mm-hmm. We wanted it to have this sort of personal possessive experience too. Yeah. Yeah. That. That makes a lot of sense because it is definitely, I think that anyone that would be participating in this would be on a personal journey of some sort. I think that would be the clientele yeah. for sure. Um, and then the part two of that, expectation. Sometimes we don't even realize that we have an expectation until we're either disappointed or blown out of the water. And I know a personal practice of mine is to really try and avoid expectations, you know, just go in open-minded, open-hearted and just love. So I'm curious though, when it comes to an expectation, when you're launching something to this level, this caliber, you must have some expectations. So mm-hmm. has it met expectations? Has it exceeded? Where are you at with that? Yeah, you know, it's hard because I didn't have like a pre-existing measurement or idea. I've never created an app. I've never been in the tech space really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm probably lucky from that perspective. I didn't know if it was going to be something really people wanted. You know, at mm-hmm. first, like you think it is, but how you deliver it, all these different things really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we delivered a very bare bones product at first, and that was all bootstrapped. You know, like we got friends and family to help invest to develop it. Oh, sorry, sorry, it was partially bootstrapped and then friends and family. And then, yeah, it started to, we gave it away for free for the first bit because we were like, well, the pandemic, we want to be like mm-hmm. able to support people in this space. And then you don't really know that your product works till you start charging for it. And so there's this sort of terrifying moment where you like turn on a paywall Mm -hmm. and you're like, Oh, is it going to be lonely and an abyss behind here? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we provide an immense amount of value. People can still interact with the app for free. So you can still use it and, and, and engage in certain ways and consume certain, you know, a certain amount of information or sessions till you're introduced to a paywall. And so we wanted to make sure it was still accessible. And 
Yeah. I mean, it continues to meet. <laughs> I mean, I have pretty, my expectations are kind of like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> so maybe for like Aaron, who's been in the tech space for a while, uh, he'd have something different to say, but he's, he certainly is blown away by the reception. I, I've been blown away by that too. And we closed our first seed round. So we got really incredible investors, some company, you know, companies with tons of integrity and passion for this, solving the same challenge. Cause there's so many different ways that people can access emotional, relational health information. And I think one of the challenges is that really what most companies have tried to do thus far is scale one-on-one therapy and group mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would argue, at least in my own experience, that like a point, maybe zero zero one percent of the human population is going to go to therapy, access therapy, can afford therapy, and they've made it affordable. So that's not the challenge, or quote unquote affordable. Obviously, that's subjective. But the vulnerability that's required to be in a group therapy or one on one is often that's not where people start. You know, they start by consuming information on like. Mm-hmm. Instagram or Twitter or the internet. And so we thought, how do we be a frictionless access point Mm -hmm. where you can look up pretty much anything you're going through and find a teacher who will walk you through that in some way? Mm -hmm. So everything that you just said is so beautiful. I'm just wondering if for anyone listening, you could put that into a concise thing and just tell us exactly what the mind app does. (laughs) The elevator. (laughs) Um, I mean, it provides live and on-demand classes to be able to walk through any of your life and relational challenges. So we have courses on breakups, relationship to money, relationship to your personal power. Kai and I are teaching a series right now called Liberated Love. So it gives you this up. It's kind of like Peloton means masterclass. If they had a baby, that's we'd be the beautiful offspring of, <laughs> it's of so two really cool apps. <laughs> Actually, just, I love that you mentioned Kai. I know it's late, but congrats on your engagement. That's super exciting. Thank you. Also, because knowing a bit of the backstory and I wanted to highlight your Let It Burn episodes, part one and part two, the fact that you were able to show your closing ceremony with Kai on your podcast and be super raw and vulnerable in that space. I really, oh my gosh, like I remember pulling over on the side of the road, just sobbing, listening to, I don't know if it was part one or part two or what. But just the connectedness and back to the vocabulary thing, I personally find so much peace and connection and relatability in your vocabulary. And even as a listener of your podcast and witnessing your content and your own growth and expansion, I, I just, yeah, I feel full. I feel full after an episode. I feel like I'm learning something. I'm invited to engage. I'm invited to explore. I'm invited to learn, to dig deep. And so, yeah, with with Kai, for anyone, I guess, obviously, who's listening to this, your ability to share your personal experiences through the podcast in such a public way, the let it burn, listening to your story about how and why you broke up. And I love your perspectives of coming back together to move forward. You're not just getting back together. You're coming back together and intentionally moving forward together is so beautiful. So to know that you're engaged now makes me so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Makes me excited too. Yes. It was, you know, it's all, no matter how the story worked out, it would be perfect and beautiful. I think for, you know, we all sort of have these hopes personally. And also when we witness the stories of other people Mm -hmm. that they'll come together or make it through something or, Mm -hmm. you know, when we broke up, uh, nine, 10 months before we got back together, 
it was over, you know, it was, and it was done Mm -hmm. and it needed to be, you know, it needed to be, and I needed to experience that descent into the depths. Uh, and, and so did Kai, um, I don't want to speak for her, but both of those vacant spaces that we experienced in our time apart were, I mean, the richest, I mean, I hadn't experienced grief like that probably since I was 19, which I think a lot of it was old grief too, coming mm-hmm. back to the surface and all the ways I was, I had self-abandoned up until that moment. So thank you. No, it's been, uh, I shared a lot of my experience in our breakup when we broke up mm-hmm. on the podcast um, and the episodes I know you're speaking to just to give the listener context are Kai and I exploring why we broke up and then what happened when we got back together, et cetera. Um, and I had ones on my own talking about like the closing ceremony that, oh my God. Yeah. I have never listened to it since I recorded it. Really? Oh, oh fuck. No. I was like, as soon as I was recorded, I sent it to the editor and he was like, holy fuck. Yeah. Cause I was like, can you maybe shorten the sobs? Oh. <laughs> some of those are, some of those are private, you know, the longer I was like, man, that was. That was a tough episode to record. But the courage, I think, I use the word courage only just because your intentions of sharing that were so from the heart. They were heart forward. They were heart centered and driven so that you knew that that would help someone else feel less alone. It would give someone else the courage to move forward. So yeah, just huge kudos to that. Thanks. That was a tough one. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to connect this back to something that you said. I'm not sure if it was in section two or section one, but it was about the identity shift when a couple breaks up and about how a lot of people, whether they get on this train and go past without asking questions, there was such a, just the value, the collected value and the collected understanding that people weren't to choose sides. It wasn't choosing Mark or Kai. It was choosing love Mm. and how powerful that is. Yeah, that was a really beautiful experience because we didn't put anyone in that position because mm-hmm. we just wanted each other to be happy and, mm-hmm. and to get whatever support was required mm-hmm. in order to navigate that space. And, you know, for me personally, I went through that breakup knowing I was a really incredible person. Like there wasn't a, it wasn't like in previous breakup where I was like, what's wrong with me? How did I fuck up? Why didn't I? It was like, no, I showed up. I like showed up fully. I, I did everything I could. And and I know Kylie felt the same way for herself. And so it was, it was, it was being able to be like, how do I navigate this as an adult, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I mean, isn't easy. Cause that means choosing grace and not choosing sides and not, you know, it's like, yeah. But also how beautiful that you were so well-equipped with all of the things that you'd learned and studied and the mentors that you had in order to navigate the time alone because the grief is hard. I actually just finished up a grief course. It was an intro to bereavement and grief. And it was so fascinating understanding that grief is the internal experience and mourning is the external experience. Do you know what I mean? Like the physical release of the Mm -hmm. internal constellation of feelings that we experience and how beautiful that was because there is such a collective grief right now that we are all carrying. And of course the mourning is coming out in different ways. But I mean, I was even just talking to someone this morning and they were talking about how they'd overreacted about something silly. And then another person the other day was talking about how they'd overreacted with their dog and another person overreacted at the checkout line, you know, (laughs) like there is such a collective heaviness and a collective grief that being able to understand another person's perspective 
with relatable content, with connectedness, all of that, and just offering them compassion now more than ever. Oh, man. We're exhausted emotionally. Yeah. Yeah, I think people are now are at the point where they see the theater that goes on on the news. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't want to say everyone because certainly people are watching the news Mm -hmm. and being like, this is my gospel. Mm -hmm. But one of the best ways to get your body back into a healing and regulated state is to actually stop watching the news. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like in the research in positive psychology, they see that healthy relationships have above a five to one positive to negative interaction rate. So just interactions throughout the day, there's five positive to every one negative. Really thriving relationships are above seven. Below five in a six-year follow-up had divorce. So it shows you just how we engage with one another, how important it is. The news has something like a 44 to one negative to positive ratio. No surprise here. Right. In the human body, when you think about how we bring in information, it actually can't separate the immediate threat of a tiger from the threat of a variant, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't know the difference. And so we are put into these constantly dysregulated high cortisol states, which influence our inflammatory markers, our cortisol, which are all correlated, and our ability to heal. I mean, it's, it's all a perpetual cycle that keeps us small, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's tough to watch. It's so tough to watch. Hey friends, The Safe Haven will be right back after this quick break. I would be so interested to know your perspectives on whether or not that state of being could be addictive for the people that constantly watch it or they're watching mainstream media all day, every day, or just cannot switch off. Oh yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Highly addictive. Mm -hmm. It's like we can be addicted to the state of unavailability. Mm -hmm. We can be addicted to the state of chaos and conflict in relationship. Our nervous systems are used to being very activated. And so that actually becomes familiar. Sometimes we call that love, you know, and we 100% can't because even when we find new information, whether the information is true or not is a whole other subject. Mm But when we find new information, like on our phones, we get notifications. The same areas light up in our brain as when we would find food when we were foraging. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's also you're constantly on your phone. You remember your social media platforms are literally monetizing your attention span. So their whole goal is to keep you on. In the social media world, they call this the race to the bottom of the brainstem. And if you're at the base of your brainstem, your amygdala is activated, which we call the lizard brain. And so when you're activated in a state like that, your prefrontal cortex actually shuts down. Mm-hmm. So problem solving, logic, critical thinking, all of those actually go out the window. And you can see this currently going on, which is you could say that doesn't make logical sense. And people are like, yeah, it does this, this, mm-hmm. that, you know, they just have their canned answers. And it's because it is emotional. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of, I think one of the biggest challenges people have right now is like, if your family, some people are vaccinated and others aren't, and then they're like, you can't come to Christmas. And it's like, I have a friend whose family won't let them come to Christmas. And they're like, well, I'll just get a test. And they're like, nope, you got to be vaccinated. And being that I'm not in that family, Mm -hmm. but I'm also honored that my family, although we have different perspectives Mm -hmm. on taking that intervention there's still love mm-hmm. present and mm-hmm. there's, we're not going to let it hold us back from seeing one another. 
But it's heartbreaking to see that it is dividing. Well, right, because here's a fact. This is an absolute fact, not even challengeable. I can say that with 100% certainty. If you have a negative test, assuming that the test is accurate, Mm -hmm. and you're the only one in the house who has a negative test, you're the only one we can be certain doesn't have COVID. And so you're actually the safest person Mm -hmm. at the party, Mm -hmm. which that might be an inconvenient truth due to all the emotional responses people have had. I think the challenge when we just look at it from a purely, let's try to look at it from an objective psychological lens. Mm -hmm. When we have said, and our political leader in Canada purposefully, I would argue very purposefully uses this language in order to create behavior change. And if you look at the history of humanity, even the history of just COVID, there's a lot of studies that have been done on how do we get people to change their behavior. In public health, that's a very important thing. And public health is important when it maintains trust with the people it's engaging with. Mm-hmm. When we use fear to hijack people so they'll comply, I'd say that's a very dirty game. And when we look at the language that Justin Trudeau used, he said, we have Canadians who did the right thing. Well, right away in public health, moralizing public health is actually a failure of public health. And you can listen to any expert. I would say most experts in the subject would say that. I've heard them say that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jay Bhattacharya was on my podcast. He's a professor of medicine at Stanford in public health. And that language of like, you're a good person if you did that. And most people identify as good people. Why wouldn't they? Mm -hmm. You know, it's Mm -hmm. sorry, my dog's shaking up. Um, Most people identify as good people. And so we're more likely to engage in behavior that is consistent with how we identify in the book Influenced by Robert Cialdini. One of the principles of influence is consistency Mm, that I am consistent with how I identify and what I say my values are. And so you have this moralization that says you can't come because you didn't do the right thing. You didn't get vaccinated. And again, this moralization exists on both sides of that conversation. The people who are vehemently against the vaccine also moralize the choice that someone got it. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. both are divided and both are oppositional. Mm-hmm. And really the way that we build bridges is by finding the space in between, which is being compassionate and understanding that both sides come to their positions based on their experiences and their fears and their lenses and the media they consume. Mm -hmm. Because we could argue one might be consuming the news and the other one's consuming some like far reaches of the internet Mm -hmm. and getting, you know, there's bots in the vaccine, you know? So it's fascinating to look at the psychological process because as we mentioned earlier, like how do you be a bridge? Mm -hmm. How do you bring in information that conflicts with your identity? How do you, grab back logic and critical thinking. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I think about it, it's like logically, if everyone in the family got a test, then we'd be able to all feel pretty safe, you know? Yeah, that's so true. It feels so simple, but it's amazing how triggering the subject is for people. Like how demonized you can be on the internet for just actually engaging in the desire for dialogue. Mm -hmm. Which makes me curious because I know that you are sharing a lot of content, you're, you're sharing your passions, you're sharing your emotions, like that in itself can take such a toll on a physical, mental, emotional body, spiritual too. So what does self-regulation look like? I mean, when you're feeling super dysregulated, what do you do to look after yourself? One of my favorite practices outside of meditation or breath work, I would say my favorite practice is cold plunging or cold showers. Okay. I mentioned you here that I, on a podcast and then you had Wim Hof on, which is so cool. Oh my God, I know that guy's. Did you get a big plunge? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> and 
it's 46 degrees Fahrenheit, which is like, I think five or something like that degrees Celsius. And I'd always cold plunged at like Scandinavian spa or like mm -hmm. there's that spa in Kananaskis in Calgary, outside Calgary. Mm -hmm. And I was like, those are cold, but holy shit, 46 degrees is cold. <laughs> and there's this thing that's happened after two minutes that I've noticed if I go in for more than two minutes and you can start this with a cold shower. You don't need a mm -hmm. cold plunge. You can do it with a cold shower for sure. That's where I started is when you're sitting in it, there's this moment where your body is like, you're going to die. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Cause hypothermia, right. Mm. It's like, your body is like, you're cold. You're going to die. This isn't good. Right. Get out of the cold water. And I think we all have that feeling when you jump in a lake or you get yeah. in a river and you're like, ah, <laughs> yeah. right. But if you can actually observe that and sit in that space of observing your nervous system response mm -hmm. and actually recognize that you're safe and breathe into it, it really teaches you how to observe your body. It's mm -hmm. one of the most, honestly, I've no, I don't think there's a faster way to learn how to regulate. Hmm. Not to mention all the benefits it does for your um, vagal nerve and just your ability to stay in regulation. Mm -hmm. And increase, you know, in the work in trauma, they talk about this window of tolerance, which is really yes. the window that you can be in where your prefrontal cortex is still working, you can problem solve. You were mentioning earlier, a lot of people being reactive. Yeah, we, our window of tolerance is way down, you know, and, and that makes sense. We are, have a high state of anxiety and what's going on. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of unpredictability about the future. We've given away for whatever, you know, whatever someone's motivations or judgment on this is, we have given up a lot of rights in order to, for perceptionally the betterment of our communities mm -hmm. and, in doing that, though, we actually affect our base needs. Our base needs, if you look at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Mm -hmm. Water, food, sex, freedom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were talking previously in part one about relationships being codependent and being prisons. Well, when relationships are liberating, that they free you, that they make you stronger, they make you more powerful, that you would be okay if it ended, which doesn't mean you wouldn't grieve it, mm -hmm. but that you know that you would be okay. Mm -hmm. All of those are liberating experiences. They're mm -hmm. empowering. Well, at this point, I don't know that many people in Canada can answer that question, that they're liberated in their relationship to their country and their rights. Mm -hmm. Because even if you choose to get the vaccine, it's still based on your choice. Like it still isn't, you're not free to choose because the choice itself gets you liberation. Mm -hmm. And so even on a very unconscious level or conscious, that is the trading of a choice for a basic human right. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, I had a conversation this morning earlier about oh the V passports that we just love oh, yeah. so much, and the fact. That oh yeah, and you're in BC too, yeah. so they're like a whole another version of not logical. Mm -hmm. That's right, mm -hmm. and that's again where I just have been buckled in and. It just I'm so fortunate to be in this tiny cute little town where there's just there is so much love around us and just keep trucking along <laughs> as yeah, we go but the best you can do actually so a really interesting conversation that I had another day just a couple of days ago was the fact that these vaccine passports are essentially quote unquote giving you access to your freedoms right which essentially right. are ours but are being taken away with these mandates. So now the vaccine passports are giving these freedoms back. So let's call that privilege, 
right? So now when you start to look at the structure of this and how people with vaccine passports right now that are so supportive of this structure are now essentially looking down on people that have chosen not to or Mm -hmm. cannot acquire this vaccine passport and therefore cannot participate in, like you've said, a lot of things that are our rights. So interesting dialogues everywhere (laughs) right now. Interesting to witness. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's an interesting conversation because from a scientific perspective, a logical perspective, uh, anyone who provides a negative test is actually safe. Mm -hmm. You can't even provide a negative test in British Columbia, which is bananas. So you have people who are vaccinated, which depending on the study you look at, carry the same viral load or almost the same as people who are unvaccinated. And there was a recent one that's that specifically that one I'm thinking of is from the Lancet, which is a incredible journal, medical journal. And so, you know, if that is true that they can give and get, and the latest variance data shows it's more prevalent in Mm -hmm. people who are vaccinated. Again, that data might change at the time of this publication, but Mm -hmm. currently it came in through travel. The only people allowed to travel to are Mm -hmm. people who have had the, the vaccine. And so you look at what this means, right? So we've chosen, we know that the passport is not about mitigating transmission. And you can hear, I think the Israeli prime minister was just hot mic'd saying that. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's not, it was never about that. It's about giving privileges to people who are vaccinated, rewarding people from a choice and punishing people who haven't. So ultimately the goal is to get more people vaccinated. I believe the health minister of BC is quoted saying something similar that these aren't about, these aren't reducing in spaces where transmission is an issue. It's to get people to get vaccinated, mm-hmm. which really means coerce mm-hmm. people. I think it's fascinating how we have a hard time talking about things like the Nuremberg Code that we say like, oh yeah, your rights are really being trampled. Oh yeah, you're just like, you know, being facetious about it. I think in the efforts to express this is similar to that experience is just to insinuate the psychological process that led to that experience, right? It's not saying they're identical. The point of studying history is to not repeat it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that we can look at all of this gently. We can try to. I think the challenge with believing that your choice to get vaccinated was because you're a good person then makes it anyone who didn't get it is not. And the other thing is, is if you have the privileges that were afforded to you for making the choice, you're likely to not want someone else to have those privileges. Mm -hmm. And these are all, I would say, operating more in the unconscious than they are in the conscious. No one's being that way or, or supporting these things from a like malicious place, I Mm -hmm. would say. The one question I would ask people, which is the majority of the people I know, um, got it to get back to normal life to, because they would lose their job Mm -hmm. if they didn't. Um, If you didn't have those motivations, let's call them motivations. If you didn't have those, would you have gotten it? Mm -hmm. And for a large number of people, the answer is no, which you didn't choose to get it then. I mean, you did choose to get it, but you were coerced in getting it. Mm -hmm. The Nuremberg Code says that, and even the rules of ethics of informed consent demand that there can't, they have to be free to choose without any consequence and there can't be anything coercing them. I think this is bringing up a lot of discussion around what ethics really are and what, yeah, what ethics are and what is allowed and what is not and what does public health really mean. 
but when we abandon these like basic principles that were arrived at due to what occurred to humans in second world war and other times we're actually abandoning the very wisdom that created them which says this is how we get to these points you know like it's actually pretty scary that collectively a lot of people believe that these things are okay and the only way to really combat it is to say that you don't agree, mm-hmm. you know, to find the thing that, you know, I look at it and I go, what matters to me more than anything? How do I want to be remembered in this mm-hmm. lifetime? Mm-hmm. And I really look at like, when I look back in history, how do I want to be remembered at this point too? Cause this is the only point we really have right now. Mm-hmm. And you just have to say you don't agree if you don't agree. Mm-hmm. And it has to come at the cost of belonging. Listen, I don't think for everybody speaking up is a realistic choice because it might actually cost them mm-hmm. very immensely. Mm-hmm. But we do have to be willing in some ways to stand up and there be a cost of belonging. I can tell you that for me, sure, I have people who are close to me who disagree with what I've just shared, mm-hmm. who disagree with my perspective. And I respect that. I don't have a problem with that. I still love them no matter what they choose. Mm -hmm. Because to me, it's not about right and wrong. It's about, I mean, in some levels, it's about right and wrong, but the choice itself is not about right or wrong. It's about integrity. It's about values. It's Mm -hmm. about humanity. It's about how do we still be unified? Everything in the news and everything from, at least I can only speak for the Canadian prime minister, is inviting us to divide and mm-hmm. and create a hierarchy mm-hmm. and say, I'm good, you're bad, I'm this and that. If you look at the book from Brene Brown, Braving the Wilderness, mm-hmm. she talks about how dehumanization always begins with language. It mm-hmm. always begins with othering. Mm-hmm. Othering, yeah. Yeah, and the reason it does is because as soon as you put a group in the other category, you can begin to take away their human rights. Mm-hmm. And from a biological perspective, we no longer have the consequence that we have if we hurt someone who is like us. Mm-hmm. And so I've watched this sort of slow experience, whether it was intentional or not, is a total other conversation where people have been dehumanized and people it has been moralized and people have been othered. And we did take away human rights uh, for mobility mm-hmm. within the country. And not, again, not based on logical science, but based on the desire for coercion and I tr- I really do try to be as objective as possible. And I personally, I can't, no matter how I look at it, I actually just can't make the vaccine passport make sense. I can't make the inability to fly within your own country with a negative test make sense. I can't make it make sense that vaccinated people are allowed to just do whatever they want, mm-hmm. be- even though they are able to spread. It, to me, that's unethical. Mm-hmm. It's scary for all people who maybe can't even get the vaccine because of medical challenges. The fact that you can't even get a medical exemption in some provinces and they're investigating doctors who write them, Mm -hmm. talk about trampling on all the checks and balances that are meant to keep government power in a reasonable level. We elect people to govern us because we are supposed to trust them to do what they should do for the collective And I think in some ways we've forgotten that we elect them. Mm -hmm. And some of these public health officials are not actually elected. They're Mm -hmm. appointed. And I know in the States, in one of the States, uh, they said that it was against the rights of the people for an unelected official to decide what goes on for all of them. Mm 
I think we're in an interesting time because like, yeah, hopefully right. the courts are like in the States, they're really holding up the rights of the people. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true in Canada. And I feel like Canadians, uh, and I am one. So I say this with, mm-hmm. uh, awareness of myself that we are naturally, you know, we kind of joke in the world that we say sorry about everything, which is really a codependent behavior. Mm-hmm. We are apologetic and we historically are still, we're still part of the Commonwealth as where the U S left the Commonwealth. So we are more collectively minded, which is good sometimes, but not at the cost of the individual. Also, just like we might argue in the U S liberty is at the ethos of the U S and individualism, sometimes at the cost of the collective. Mm. So the balance is in the middle and I think we're finding it. And I think Canadians are finding a fire in themselves that they didn't even know existed, Mm -hmm. which really comes from our forefathers and mothers who fought for and immigrated and all the things to give us the liberty to choose things. And they fled from countries where that wasn't a choice. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I I hope that we find equilibrium. I think the universe is always seeking that. Mm -hmm. Something better is always being born even if it means, you know, in a lot of ways, the, we are certainly on a way to making ourselves extinct by our behaviors. Mm. Mark, as you're aware, I could talk to you and listen to you all day long, (laughs) especially (laughs) because what I find, and I think this is even when I'd originally reached out and what I'd said was that your content, your language, your vocabulary, just the love with which you speak and from where you speak, the compassion, non-judgment, and the logic that you're able to bring into things, just and back to the non-judgment, it brings me as a listener so much peace. It brings me as someone who is feeling super isolated so much peace. I feel seen. I feel witnessed in this. So Mm. thank you for everything that you do. I also want to be super respectful of your time because I appreciate it so much. I have two more questions. Yeah, that's welcome. Okay. What is your morning routine? I'm Mm. so curious. It, it must, I feel like it must be quite sacred because you have certain things that <laughs> keep you going. I mean, my decaf coffee is part of the sacred <laughs> ritual. Majority of the time, not all the time, I meditate and usually exercise. And more recently, just because the place I've been staying has a sauna. Mm, so nice. So I've been taking a sauna, an infrared sauna, and then a cold plunge almost every morning. But sometimes a cold plunge, I'm like, no. But I would say like five out of seven mornings. I actually, I think like an effective morning ritual is like five out of seven days. That's how I sort of see it. You know, when someone's like, oh, every day, blah, blah, blah. I'm Mm -hmm. like, nah, I don't, I can't live that way. Yeah, it can't be so, I guess, rigid that if you don't do it, it's like, damn it, I got to go back to square one. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Go back to go. (laughs) Um, What are you reading right now? Oh, man, what am I reading right now? I listen to a lot of podcasts. So I've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently. That was my next question. So you can start there if you want. What's your favorite podcast? <laughs> and then what are you reading or listening to? You know, I have a number that I like. I like Lex Friedman's podcast. I find his way of thinking is really brilliant. He brings, and I like learning about things like crypto and mm-hmm. he interviews a lot of interesting people. Joe Rogan's podcast I like because what I love about Joe Rogan is he basically is curious about everything in the world. Mm -hmm. I don't find him to be um, rigid in his thoughts and his opinions and his identity. Like Mm -hmm. 
he's vocal about them, but he is not rigid. He accepts when he's wrong. He says, you know, and I, I think he models for all of us. He said it in his uh, podcast episode he did with Sanjay Gupta from the physician who speaks on CNN. He said, you know, I think what draws people to me is that the conversation we're having and recording right now is the same conversation we'd have at dinner, that there's no different version of him. And so he asks questions. I think we all want to ask and he challenges subjects. I like, I like Aubrey Marcus's podcast. I think he's great. Nathan Riley is a new one. I've been listening. Oh, he's freaking awesome. Oh, he's fire. He's an, an OBGYN um, for people listening. He's a holistic OBGYN. He's incredible. Actually, your episode with him about life and death just blew my mind. Oh, he's so magical. Yeah, he is. And like having worked in the system and then now not being in it, his perspective, I found very similar to my perspective, different because I was a pharmaceutical rep. Which I did want to ask about. I mean, if you've got a couple minutes and you want to tell us about the how and the why you even got out of that, I've always been curious. I mean, I got out of it because I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm. You know, it was like this other version of me was being born and I really saw that I participated in. There's a lot of good things about medicine. Of course, allopathic medicine is important, especially for acute traumas. Um, But I also saw that a lot of my work was about creating diseases and creating needs and being part of the marketing engine that really isn't about wellness and healing, but rather about keeping people in a subscription-based service to their medications. So I left because at some point I had to leap and my integrity just wasn't able to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud to say I didn't stay longer than that feeling existed. What was the other question about the books? Yeah, what are you reading or listening to? Yeah, books. Um, Finish the Coddling of American Mind, one of the best books Mm -hmm. I've ever read. Mm -hmm. Recapture the Rapture by Jamie Wheel, I just read. One of my favorite books is Experiments in Truth by Ram Dass, which is, I believe, is 10 or 11 best lectures. Mm -hmm. Oneness versus the 1% I'm just reading right now, too. And that's from Vandana Shiva. And she was just on Russell Brand's podcast, and she talks about how they have tried to capitalize on and monetize the farming industry in India, Mm. namely Bill Gates, but very fascinating. Super interesting. Yeah. This has been incredible, Mark. Thank you so much for your time. Of course. Thanks for having me. It's been a wonderful discussion. Yeah. I really, and thank you for trusting me with yeah, your people and your space and the work that you do. And thanks for having these conversations about and discovering and being curious about what life means and relationships mm-hmm. mean and what does it mean to create a safe haven. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I received that. Thank you. Mark, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. As mentioned numerous times, pre-recording, during recording, post-recording, via voice notes, you name it. It's been an honor having you as a guest on The Safe Haven, and I'm so happy that we're in contact. Thank you for your time, and thank you for everything you're doing for the greater good. To everyone listening, I recognize the privilege that comes with this platform, and I am committed to creating a brave and inclusive space with intention. If this podcast has hit you right in the heart or inspired you in any way, please screenshot the screen while you're listening, send it to your friends, and share it in your Instagram stories. Please be sure to tag us at the Safe Haven Podcast so we can personally thank you for it. If you're able to write a review or leave a juicy five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, that really helps this podcast grow. For more great podcasts, check out FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com and I will talk to you next week.